Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Farah Ali. Her work has been anthologized in the 2020 Pushcart Prize and received special mention in the 2018 Pushcart Anthology. Her debut story collection, People Want to Live, was published with McSweeney's Books. Her new book is The River, The Town, which is published by our friends at Dezank Books. Farah, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me on your program again. It's an honor to have you here. And first, Farah, uh, you have a new publisher. What has it been like yeah. working with Zank Books, who are based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, for the publication of this novel, The River, The Town? Um, it's been fabulous, truly, um, because my main, my main person at Zank is Michelle Daughter, and she is so she was a great editor for the novel, very intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 always tricky having someone work on your work. Um, you don't know how they'll feel about it, and you feel a bit defensive getting edits back. But she was amazing, and uh, on the publishing side as well, she's been like a like a buddy. It feels like we're in like we're on in this together, mm-hmm. putting the book out, getting into the hands of readers. Um, she's very responsive, and I, I just like working with her so much. Very good. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, and shout out to all of our literary friends in Ann Arbor, both at Dezank and uh, at Literati Bookstore. And Ann Arbor is where the Borders Bookstore was based when they were a thing. They just have a lot of uh, bookish people. Um, well, now let's get into your new novel. Can you take a moment to set this novel up for our listeners? Right. So it follows the lives of um, a very small people in a very small family. Mm-hmm. There is a. Uh, there is the main protagonist. The main the the story starts with the story of Badal, who is a young boy when the story starts, and then it goes on into the story of his mother's life, and then it also talks about the story of her, the woman that Badal uh, decides to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's these three people, but what I what I wanted to really explore was how a small family would react or behave over time to the constant stress of uh, water being available sometimes, not being available sometimes. So the, the the larger picture is that of a river in their small town, which is slowly drying uh, out over, over all these years. But the more microscopic level of the story goes into how these three people react uh, to all these changes. And I just want to say that originally I started out writing only Badal's story. It was mm. just about him. But then I got so curious about why his mother is the way she is with him because their relationship is very difficult. Mm. And I wanted to explore her life mm. and discover how long this um, lack of water has been going on in her life for her to morph into certain personalities. So... Yeah, the story is called The River of the Town because the river is the main feature and the town is where the story starts. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And um, speaking of water, Farah, I once 
lived in Tempe, Arizona for about a year, a wonderful place to visit. Um, one of the reasons we left after a year, my wife and I, is because there was no natural source of water anywhere nearby. Uh, the first sentence I highlighted in this novel, The River, the Town, is, quote, the only thing we really need from outside is water, uh, end quote. And my question, Farah, is what is it like to live in a place without water? What are the dangers and the struggles of living in a dehydrated geographical area? Well, starting from the very basic is there's so many levels of it. There's the, the most human level is that of thirst. Mm -hmm. And then there is all these other ways, just the, the facility of turning on a, a tap and having water come out to wash your hands or wash your clothes or to use in the bathroom um, for, for cleanliness. Uh, so water is so basic. Um, even in the city that I grew up in, Karachi, we, we're, we are by the sea and we have rivers. Uh, we have the river Indus close by, but there is a big lack of um, water sometimes that that erupts, I should say, when you have to go buy water tankers to come to the house so you can have water in your tank. It's a whole orchestration of making water available to you. And if you're buying water on a weekly basis, then that also really separates those who can afford to buy the water. Mm. And though it should not ever be such a big question. And now if you go further away from a city and you go, go to a place in Pakistan where droughts are a major recurrence, um, then for sure that's likely to change the psyches of people who live there making it hard and everyone would want to leave at some point uh, if they can, but leaving is also hard. It's easy to say, why don't you go seek employment or living in a, in a, in a better place, but leaving is expensive as well. These are not great solutions. So in making a normal life, not to be able to depend on something as simple as water, mm -hmm. it, um, that's why I set out to write this novel, just to see what it would do, long-term impact. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, when I lived in, in Arizona and Phoenix, basically, I, I kept telling people, like, this place is called Phoenix because civilizations keep dying here and they keep building new ones on top of them. You're, we're not supposed to be here. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Um, you mentioned some of this earlier. Uh, our protagonist, Bottle, um, has a very antagonistic relationship with his mother. What is the nature of this relationship? And why does his mother seemingly hate him? I'm thinking of a scene where he comes home dirty and she shoves dirt into his mouth, for example. Well, in exploring her life later on, I think she slowly disintegrates mentally um, because she faced tragedies when she was younger as well. She loses a brother uh, when she was just a young girl and um, their family started seeing the, the, the effects of lack of water. And then she grows up uh, first, a brother passes away and then a sister just wanders off mysteriously. So she has grown up in a very fracturing way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so slowly it's as if, her stability has been chipped away at. And so when she is now an adult herself, it's not to excuse how she is with her own son, but it's given her, he has become unfortunately her 
punching bag for all her stresses, the things that she could not control. And maybe because he has survived um, and she has lost her, some children as well. So it's, I, I think to say that she hates him is it would be simplistic because she does struggle with normal maternal feelings as well. But I sometimes what can happen in a person's psyche is they can split into two very different paths and they justify those two different paths fully. They can fool themselves. They'll say, no, I do love my child. Mm -hmm. And then they will be cruel to that child uh, at the same time. But they've convinced themselves that, no, no, that's not a sign of no love. Mm -hmm. So I, I would think that that's how she is behaving. He has unfortunately become her her her. She, it's easy for her to take her frustrations out on him by in physical violence or verbal violence. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what of uh, Bottle's father, who has trouble holding on to work and sort of tunes out in front of the television after work all day, every day? What kind of life does this father have for himself that he just hides himself behind the television and lets his wife rail against their son? I think he's not confrontational <laughs> and he's he's dealing with his own demons and at one point in a very very early draft I think I started out exploring what he would have been like but then uh what brought him to this point and stage in his life but at that point that wasn't it didn't carry enough uh, in hold enough interest for me to pursue his storyline but for sure he is just tuning out because it's the path of least resistance for him he has decided that maybe if he doesn't see it, he doesn't engage in it, then it's not for him to worry about. Mm -hmm. Another way of a person, I guess, fooling themselves into living within with a situation which is very toxic, but then tuning out aspects of it that they can't deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Farah. Listeners, we're going to take a break here for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Farah Ali. Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Farah Ali, author of The River, The Town, which is published by our friends at Zank Books. And Farah, a math teacher in this novel, gives a lesson about the wonders of the next town over, uh, Paranagao. What is going on here in this scene? What does Pirani Gao have to do with mathematics? <laughs> well, first of all, the school that they that Badal and his friends go to is a school which doesn't have great, uh, you know, steady teachers. They they some of them are volunteers who come from the city, thinking that they're doing a really magnanimous gesture by leaving behind their creature comforts and coming to live in some discomfort mm. to teach at the school. And so they feel like they are imparting a lot of wisdom and as simplistic as it sounds, but that is the case when sometimes a lot of times uh, when volunteers give up their time 
they do feel like they're being very noble. Um, and so when this math teacher, he takes it upon himself to discard the lesson for a bit and talk about Purana Gao, and he's, he's just extolling the virtues of the city, mm-hmm. the same way that we might tell someone, but why didn't you go there? It, it's much better there than Purana Gao. Why would anyone want to go back there? It's a, it's a rapidly declining place. In this, it's also kind of like how one talks about a struggling country or a struggling city and tell someone, well, why don't you leave it? Just seek economic welfare else somewhere else. But it's not, again, easy to do that, to leave behind your land or your home or your family or your familiarity and just go off. And there's no guarantee what life is like elsewhere, mm-hmm. how hard it would be to struggle to find a job and keep that job. And, and so I just wanted to show by, from the mouth of that teacher what some of these unhelpful statements would sound like you know uh he probably talked took this opportunity he's got this all these young children in his classroom and let me just give them some important wisdom that probably their not very clever parents are not able to give them because look they're all suffering therefore they must not be very clever Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely thank you so much um i now want to talk about the chapter in this first section titled visitors this entire chapter is seemingly filled with propaganda um, aimed towards the, uh, the the citizens of this town. Uh, who are these visitors and what sort of campaign are they running? Also, they're from the city again, and not to vilify the city, but it's just kind of a characterization of capital H help. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. well, there are visitors who come from the city to set up programs and to maybe distract the population of the town from their miseries by making them feel included and not forgotten because geographically how I set up the town and the city that though the town is part of the city more like it's really on the outskirts of it it's separated by a long road Mm -hmm. so one can forget about it if you know uh, oh yeah, that is part of my city, but I don't really consider it because it's too far. It's not my problem. So these visitors, they're there to make these people feel included. And the idea was that sometimes you see these programs being run and how well thought out they are, you know. Um, are they really just bandage efforts at feeding people? Are they really looking at the source of the problem? Why is the river drying out? Not once do these visitors talk about that. They don't consider the river at all. They just consider a short-term solution. Let's feed them or let's clothe them or or let's um, entertain them for a little bit. So these are just ways for the visitors to feel important. And, and having said that, it's also the townspeople, some of them might fall for this as well, feel distracted, feel happy, feel good about this, the ration of charity food they got for a little bit. Um, you know, a very, very long time ago, I read in Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities, how the royalty would just go around in their um, carriages, uh, you know, all these really wealthy, noble people, and the peasants would just stand there in awe even though they would be hungry and starving. This is before the French Revolution. And before that started, most some a lot of them would just be standing there loving their rich royal rulers. Um, 
because look at their beautiful dresses and look at their beautiful horses and look at their jewels. Mm. So that's interesting because they were disconnected from the reality of this horrible distribution of money. So maybe the townspeople, some of them, when these visitors come, feel important uh, or or at least fed or at least entertained for a day. And some of them are taken in by this quote unquote effort and they don't feel like they're forgotten. So it's just gestures by the government or whatever local or federal level to make them feel included without any real long-term solutions looked at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Farah. Um, how likely is it in a region such as this one um, that all of the people's misfortunes are due to the sins they commit in the eyes of their God, as some of them believe? Uh, is this a stretch? Um, is there some truth behind this sentiment? Or is religion being used as a tool to keep these people kind of docile and down? Well, so being a religious person myself, I believe differently in um, calamities. I don't think they are, I personally don't think that they are punishments for, you know, of the kind that are in the book. But in a country like Pakistan, religious sentiment does tend to take on um, sometimes to simplistically explain or uh, or ex- by by some factors of the country of the, of the people uh, in Pakistan, not everyone, mm-hmm. that um, if only we figure out our ways and we'll be sorted or something like that. You know, we're we're thirsty because we did so and so. But and it maybe it's an easy solution when there's no tangible solution being given by anyone. It's mm-hmm. something. It's maybe easy for some people to believe that yeah, it's us who are at fault. So there is a section of a sect of people in this book who start going to the river to see if they can lead a more ascetic lifestyle, lead a, an even simpler lifestyle than they already do because they have to clean cleanse themselves of their problems or their sins and their, their language or whatever. So, yeah, and I don't think this is to exploit them. I think this is because they sincerely believe that they are at fault for incurring this upon themselves. Mm-hmm. Because no one else is giving them any answers. No one else is really doing real long-term help for them. So in the absence of that, they're just coming up with some solutions. So one one of the solutions is that we, if we don't get our act together as and become good human beings, you know, capital G, good human beings, then will always be suffering because we deserve it. So it's faulty thinking, but sometimes people do that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, There is a moment when the visitors that I referenced earlier from the city uh, are in town and uh, our protagonist bottle is imagining himself with more and more money. Uh, But instead of the money or the idea of money making him happy, he just wants more and more things. Uh, why do you think this happens to people, Farah? Why does more money tend to lead to more problems? And where do you think the sweet spot is for financial comfort? <laughs> oh, this, there is no perfect sweet spot for financial comfort. Mm. I think to be honest, to keep oneself honest, I think one should always draw like a, like a pie chart, you know, of what 
uh, one needs to spend money on. If I should stop saying one and say me uh, and just say, all right, this is how much I actually really need for food, how much I actually really need for clothes, how much I actually really need for housing. And again, it's, you know, one can be satisfied in a in any size of house or, or dissatisfied in any size of house. And as long as one keeps a keeps it factual and say, if I if I don't eat, you know, a really expensive meal, will I starve? Obviously not. So as far as the sweet spot is concerned, yeah, I think if we let ourselves slide down that, it's a very slippery slope. Mm -hmm. It's it's look at I mean, you know, the world is full of advertisements selling you what you should have to have a better life. Mm -hmm. Uh and we're humans, we tend to get swayed very easily yeah. by this belief that happiness lies just with if I spend just a little more, if I have just a little more. Mm -hmm. It's a, also a way to anesthetize ourselves, um, mm -hmm. to like numb our brains from yeah. being a little uncomfortable. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer. Um, I now want to take a moment to travel back in time to the 1960s. Uh, this novel swings back and forth from the mid-90s to the mid-60s. And until now, we have been talking about the 90s. Uh, but now the 60s. First, a writerly question. Uh, both of these sections, the 90s section and the 60s section, open on a rooftop. Uh, how hard did you work, Farah, to make these sections parallel one another? This is the first time that I noticed they open on a rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> I did not realize I'd done that. Wow. The conscious brain works in mysterious ways. Completely. And it takes an astute reader like yourself to 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 point it out. Um well, Bagel's section, which is the way the book opens, starts with him and his friends. Um, I think they're throwing rocks at a neighbor's uh, uh, dish antenna, which is how that neighbor gets a lot of channels on TV. Mm -hmm. And Rahila, that's Bagel's mother, her section, which is the 60s section, starts with her on the rooftop. They're trying to do something with pigeons because their brother, who has gone missing, uh takes care of all these pigeons and feeds them on a rooftop. So, so both, uh, I had really never thought about this at all before. Cause I, again, like I told you, I didn't know I did this, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that the mother's scene starts there, uh, maybe the rooftop is used just, you know, back home. It is a, an actual like open air room where you can do a lot. You can, you can build another small room there. You can have a, bunch of you can like take care of a bunch of birds there uh if you want to i'm just thinking back from my childhood what did we do oh yeah you can go there and fly kites <laughs> or you can like throw rocks at a neighbor's dish antenna which i didn't do but Badal and his friends do mm -hmm. so i guess that's just a place where it's just not to start the action from the absolute center of anyone's house but just you know keep it elevated um geographically physically <laughs> absolutely so so the answer to the question is that you did not work to make these sections parallel one another not at, at all it's not completely conscious. no yes yes very good well thank you so much um there is a scene uh with our our 1960 protagonist bottles mother um and a shopkeeper the shopkeeper gives her things like bubble gum in exchange for inappropriate hugs, massages, etc. Uh, when the shopkeeper dies, our protagonist notes that it wasn't for a poetic reason like thirst. Uh, my question, 
is how is a death by thirst poetic? It seems much more poetic, more metaphorical, at least to me, to die squatting over a toilet as the shopkeeper does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think maybe because when he passes away, which is such a polite way of saying that when he dies, um, she is a child and or she's very, very young. And she maybe in her limited awareness of language and justice and the poetic of certain kinds of justice she recognizes that if he died thirsty well i know so many people who die thirsty and there is a certain sad tragedy drama attached to the idea of dying while thirsty you know you still feel sorry for that person but and she identifies that as something to do with maybe a romantic way to die or a poetic way to die but here he was he passed away on a toilet and there is nothing um, that evokes sad feelings about that per se it you know it doesn't make you feel immediately sorry for that person so to her that was not a poetic way to die squatting on a toilet she thought that would be an embarrassing way to die mm-hmm. at the very least and if she was she was glad that he died embarrassed if he felt that yeah absolutely thank you so much um finally and listeners This book is fantastic. I hope that you will go to explorebooksellers.com and order a copy as soon as you're done listening to this podcast. This is going to be a book that I'm thinking about for a long time. But finally, I do want to talk about uh, Mina, the the older divorced woman who bottle befriends and then marries as a way to whet our listeners' appetite for the rest of the novel. Uh, Farah, what does this older homeless woman uh see in this young man bottle enough that she would agree to marry him i think at the basic at the very basic she sees kindness mm-hmm. and like a genuine love for her mm-hmm. nothing um ulterior about his attention toward her because this is not her first time trying to work out a, a relationship um she has had herself a, a difficult life uh before she meets Badal. And when she sees him and he's so much younger, and maybe she just sees something really genuine in his attention and in the in simple and earnest in his striving, in his words, in his body language. She doesn't see malice or that older person cunningness, you know. She's just probably taken in by that and she's probably also lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what, um, just to continue this for a moment, what is the conflict when Bottle brings her home uh, with his mother? Why why does she see uh, Mina as a threat? I think this is just simply, on again, it goes back to Bottle's mother, Rahila, and her many ways of finding, I think he just gave her a reason to get completely irrationally unjustifiably upset that he brought home an older woman and that he brought home someone at all maybe she felt jealous of her of of any happiness that her son was able to get for himself um which sounds strange because she's his parent after all but i think we've all seen some strange relationships or at least heard about them which psychologically don't make sense but they're actually true that while being his parent, she did feel jealous of any happiness that he uh, got. And it didn't fit the norms 
you know, she wasn't uh, this this Mina woman. She's been divorced and she lives by herself. And she people talk about her in the town a little bit. That what did she do? How did she drive her? Like she drove away at another husband, you know, uh, that's very suspect. And uh, it raises questions about her character, which is obviously extremely unfair. And then he brings her home. And so this is for her, like, I knew you were a good for nothing um, human because you got a good for nothing woman for yourself. So she, her reaction at that point is very cruel. And again, it's just a result of her, of a mixture of things. Uh, first, she's jealous of his happiness. And then she has her, she lives in a world of her own. Uh, Rahila, Badal's mother, I, I feel she lives in a world of her own tragedies. She has never come to terms with the things that she has lost. And yet she's made to continue functioning in a world that requires your full attention. You know, there's no time to heal. There's no luxury to take the time off to heal. Well, how can you do that when you have a, when you have to get money, when you have to feed, when you have to bring up whatever number of kids you've got surviving left, you know? So She's just blundering on uh, when, with with horrible mistakes, um, just in her rarely broken mind, which, again, does not justify how she is to him. Mm-hmm. I want to keep saying that, that that does not justify it, because sometimes we can take someone's hard and difficult past to justify their current bad behavior. But because she isn't complete control of her faculties i mean she knows what she's doing she's not unaware of her words then i hold her accountable for how she behaves and i i think she knows that she's behaving horribly but she doesn't want to stop it mm-hmm. um she just in, in that same way she's not engaged with her husband she doesn't talk to him so much she's not engaged with anyone really she really is in her own mind so she doesn't get to know Mina at all. She's happy with whatever she's heard about this woman. And uh, she doesn't want to investigate more. She doesn't want to ask her son how he feels about this woman. So she just has this first chance he gave her to explode in rage. And she takes that chance and she runs with it and does something horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer, Farah. And thank you for writing this wonderful novel that I am sure to be thinking about for the rest of this year and beyond. Listeners, I've been speaking with Farah Ali, author of The River, The Town, which is published by our friends at Dzank Books. Farah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Jason. Once again, I would like to thank Farah Ali for joining me. Copies of The River, The Town can be purchased from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.